And welcome to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from the Office of Career Strategy at Yale University where we discuss various aspects of the job, career search, how to demystify them uh, and make them a little bit more accessible to one and all, regardless of where you are in your respective search. Uh, my name is Brian Fernet, and I work with PhDs, master students, and postdocs in the Office of Career Strategy, and I'm joined today. I'm Stephanie Waite, and I'm with the Common Good and Creative Careers team. My name is Julia Burke. I work with mostly undergraduates, and I work in experiential learning opportunities. And I'm Meredith Mira. I am also primarily an undergraduate advisor, and I'm part of our STEM Connect initiative. Today, we are going to be tackling the good, the bad, and the ugly of resumes. Something and that, we've seen ooh, some ugly resumes. We've seen some <laughs> ugly resumes. Oh, yeah. Some beautiful uh, ones, too, though. An elemental component to any successful job search. And if it isn't elemental at this point, I'd love to know what that is. But at this point, we're trying to talk about – we're going to talk about resumes and how we can best prepare for the process and how we can make sure that that representation of our professional self is as best as possible. So to kind of kick things off, uh, I want to talk to you all about – finding the right headspace for resume construction. So we talk a lot about sort of how to prepare for this process. What do you guys think are the necessary aspects of, of preparing one? So we're under the pretense that maybe we don't have one yet or we have some very like menial working model. Yeah, so I think sometimes students will kind of jump into the process thinking, oh, I just got to list all of the things that I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that uh, puts our first years into a, a little bit of a conundrum because they think I haven't done anything yet. Um, but then we have, you know, all the way up to our, our postdocs, our six-year PhD students who are like, well, I have so many things to share. So I think uh, part of a, you know, a healthy workable mindset around this needs to start with, okay, I need to figure out what it is that I want to relay and what kind of story or narrative I want to construct based on some of the experiences that align with the things that I'm interested in doing. Mm-hmm. So in, our, in another episode, we talked about the, identifying experiences, and I think of that as like the building blocks of this narrative. So in, in thinking about those experiences and now moving forward with that, uh, we're now in sort of storytelling mode, right? Right. So sometimes I think to, to both of your points, a student might say, okay, well, all of my experiences that are paid, that means work experience. All of my experiences that are unpaid, I'll put those in another section. But to Stephanie's point, it's more of the narrative. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about maybe journalism experience and you've written for a school newspaper. You've maybe, uh, you know, done some um, blogging or something like that. And that can be a, a section on its own. So it is all about that narrative and how you're bringing experiences together on that paper. And those are likely the things that you want to populate at the top, right? Right. The things that point directly to the kinds of things that you're thinking about applying for. So I think if you have never written a resume before, and that happens, right? There sure. are people who are uh, postdocs who have never written a resume. They may have a CV. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but resumes are about showcasing skills. You will see action verbs on these resumes. Mm-hmm. I created something. I developed something. I led something. Um, but if you haven't started anywhere before, you know, get out a piece of paper or I guess you're probably typing. Or you're using <laughs> In the year 2019, you are probably typing. You're typing. Um and I want you to first just list down everything that you've done. 
whether it was not everything. That's not true. Anything that you could imagine sort of um, pulling out a set of skills from. So um, put down a student club you were part of as a high school student. Um, if you are a postdoc or a PhD student, were you part of something as an undergrad? Um, did you ever do anything work-wise between your undergrad and grad school? But just start listing things down and then writing the tasks that you did. Like, that's the beginning point. Yeah. You're going to actually sort of um, focus that and reduce that at some point to get to what Julia was saying, where you might actually have a section that's on journalism, but you're probably not going to start there. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good point. Or maybe you are. I mean, maybe you do know that there's a whole bunch of things you've done that are all about journalism, and that's where you want to begin. Well, I, th I think we're finding a reoccurring theme um, of, of process, right? So we're getting at the point that this is not going to be a one-and-done situation, that there's going to be editing, there's going to be drafting, there's going to be revisions. And I think that is sometimes one of the more common misconceptions of the document is like, oh, I just got to just got to bang this out. I just got to get this done. <laughs> just got to write all this down. I got to oh, remember the the thing. I remember all of these important things. It's only one page, so I ran out of room. And and that's where I think people uh, that haste create some of the more common errors, right? Because they're not considering the entirety of what they've done, the full body of work. They have yet to consider the the, the dynamism of those experiences, the versatility of those things. They may not even be considering and this is a personal pet peeve of mine, they're maybe not considering how they're going to appeal to that employer because they don't even know what the job is yet or they may not, they're, or they're not even concerned about that. They're just like, I got to get this out yeah, or I, it was due yeah. yesterday, right? And to both of your points, Meredith and Brian, you know, when you're saying kind of list out everything, um, sometimes I'll talk to students about having just like a kitchen sink resume, yes. you know, just having everything out there, everything down. It can be more than a page for that. But then when you're seeing the job and those kind of continuous revisions, maybe that's when you do put together a journalism section. But um, we're, we're kind of picking on journalism. I don't know why that just popped into our heads. But you whatever. always hated journalism for some reason. It's not true. I don't know why that we're is. We're in a media headspace as we're oh sitting in the Yale Broadcasting Studio here. And maybe that's why. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why. Um, and so you're going to kind of start with everything. And then it's that continuous process that Brian was talking about to really see, OK, what is that position that I'm applying for? Who are they looking for? And then it goes back to Meredith's point as to what are the skills that I have done? What have I written down? And how do I make that appealing to the hiring committee? So we're getting like into this kind of chicken egg concept, I think, of this, this very important document. So just to clarify, we're thinking of these two very equal components of, co again, contemplation and reflection. What, are I, what am I working with? What are the experiences I'm working with? But also who's my intended audience, right? And so regardless of which one you find first, there are some clear ways by which you can begin to kind of help see through the fog of this. Because sometimes you might be like, I don't know who this is going to be for. I don't know what I want to do yet. That's okay. You can just think about what you've done thus far. You can talk about it in a somewhat of a broad way, and you can modify that as you move forward. On the other side, you may not have thought about your experiences yet, but you know exactly what you want to do. So maybe that gives you something of a breadcrumb trail to think, when have I uh, evidenced these skills, these qualifications of the job that I want? Are there gaps, right? Um, and one other sort of like bare bones basic thing that Julia brought up is, is length. And since we sort of appeal to this dynamic group, you know, these are rules are always meant to be broken. So 
thinking about, you know, predominantly speaking, we look at one-page resumes for our undergraduates that are that are exiting the institution at, at a bachelor level. Master's degree candidates, we customarily think of as a ideally one, but maybe two-page resume, depending on uh, certain factors. PhDs and postdocs can be uh, two to three pages. I'd say maybe two for PhDs, three for postdocs, but I always think if you can make it two, you make it two. Um, and then there are modifications within that where different careers request or insist upon a one-page resume. So again, Julia's idea of the kitchen sink resume allows for optimal versatility, right? So you can think about who your audience is and always be mindful of that, and you don't have to come up with something from scratch in the 11th hour. Right, right. I'll also add to that that some industries, you know, and, and sectors, particularly the government, um, what is required from agency to agency or department to department uh, might differ. So usually we're telling undergraduate students, aim for one page. Mm -hmm. But there are, in fact, some departments and agencies that'll say, I want to see, you know, two, three, four pages because I want you to detail all the challenges that you have overcome, all the accomplishments that you've had, and I want detail, detail, detail. So um, most certainly when you're constructing that more final version of a resume that you're hitting, you know, that you're going to go ahead and submit um, used to submit your application with, uh, check with the employer. Mm -hmm. Check mm -hmm. to see what that industry standard is or what that employer is really requesting. Yeah. The shotgun method does not work no. in any <laughs> way, shape, or form. No, no, no. buckshot method here. <laughs> Anyone that comes to me and says, well, I sent out 40 of them yesterday. I'm like, well, that's. I'm going to guess you were not hearing back. Maybe. I don't know. It seems yeah. dangerous. So, yeah, you have to be careful. You have to tread lightly. Oof. Yeah. And I also think since we're talking about this one page resume, I just wanted mm -hmm. to put it out there that we're actually we're talking about American employers. Yeah. A resume, you know, will differ if you're applying to an international posting. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. to kind of put that out there, we generally see students coming into the office looking at employment within the United States, but you know, we we have worked with students looking at an international job search too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You so, may have to put your photo on your right. resume mm -hmm. if you're applying for jobs in certain countries. Yeah. So being mindful yeah. of that for and sure, Julia. For mostly this conversation, we are working with kind of – we're referring to employers within the U.S. And it also just kind of brings up a little bit of the drier formatting piece to this. You know, we have been talking about one page. When I'm reviewing a resume, I would love to hear how you all approach resume reviews. I actually like to start with looking at how the readability is. If I can't actually identify what the sections are, if I can't – if the font is too small – that will kind of stop me in my track. So when I'm reviewing a resume with a student one-on-one, -on -one, I actually start with the with the layout. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Um, <laughs> as uh, the person who oversees our online resume and cover letter review service, that's huh? right. You can get well it reviewed done, here. Uh, if you are a Yale student, uh, postdoc, or alum, you can use our online resume review service on our website, ocs.yale.edu. Mm -hmm. um, but when we look at these resumes to begin with, we are looking at them sort of structurally. If I'm an employer, my eye goes to the left side. Mm -hmm. Are things fairly left aligned? Are you tabbing in three different times? Are things centered and then off-centered? 
are you using different size bullets? Are you using different size font? Are you using different kinds of font, depending on what you're looking at? All of those things start to make your eye go a little bit wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. I, I hold it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I look at it. And I often, if I'm meeting with the student, will turn to the student and say, this looks good. Or do you see what does it? It looks a little big. Mm-hmm. Or these margins are way too small. You're trying yeah. to cram too much in. Yeah. Or the, um, you know, the soft way and, and the soft and kind approach of, did you notice that the bullet points changed midway yeah. through right. the document? Or the font size changed dramatically? <laughs> Do you yeah. really like italics and underscoring <laughs> yeah. a lot? There's a lot of emboldened information here. <laughs> uh, but, you know, even the, the, the name of the, 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 the font size of the name of the student, sometimes when it drowns, it's, you know, you, you can't really see that, oh, this is the student's name, you know, that that catches my eye, whether or not it's large enough. I know mm-hmm. that that sounds funny, but it, there's, there's something to that, right? You are the applicant and your name needs to um, needs to pop off of this page. It does. Make it bigger than you think you need to make it. Yeah. yeah. I think in addition to a lot of the formatting uh, issues that have been brought up, uh, which are some of those like good old reliables, um, I find that overwhelmingly I'm critiquing, and I imagine you guys are as well, critiquing the accomplishment statements, the, the content within, the ways in which folks describe experiences are usually where the most work needs to be done. And I often joke with people, like, if I brought mine out right now, we could definitely tear it apart. Just tear it up. Because like, at Bring any, it out, Brian. any <laughs> given moment, you, you realize that there's another way, an alternate way that you can modify this or discuss something in a different context. And that can seem very overwhelming for people or just getting into that headspace of how to write about this initially, where, again, the focus is on the individual. Very customarily, we're trying to, like, just escape that spotlight. And we're like, oh, let me talk about my work or let me talk about the organization I worked for. And it's like, well, I'm not hiring that organization and I'm not hiring your research results. I want to hire you. So I need to know about your capacity, your skill set. And and we, we've talked about impact before, but thinking about what that impact is, if I understand the, the method, process, and approach by which someone works, that helps assure me that they are a, a qualified candidate right. or, and or someone I just want to spend some time with, right? Right. Because that's what it's <laughs> yeah. also going to be about, too. We talk about fit and when, we talk, when, when it gets to interviewing, but this is also showcased in part through the resume. So the accomplishment statements are where I feel like the bulk of the effort comes in and a lot of the anxiety that, that students and other folks have, just anybody has when it comes to writing a resume. Um. Any, any, uh, what are your sort of bits of wisdom on, on, on tackling this issue? Well, one um, bit of wisdom is that you may be listening thinking, I have no idea what Brian's talking about when he says Always accomplishment statements. Ah. Always possible. <laughs> so the first time that I started thinking about doing a resume, I just thought of these as bullets. And you don't even sure. have to use a bullet, right, right. By, the, by the by. You mm-hmm. can actually um, write in paragraph form and use periods at the end of, let's say, three sentences that you put underneath an experience. You're still not using I did this and I did that. So if I say paragraph form, I don't mean move into narrative. I'm writing like I do an English paper. Right, first You're person. S- don't first person. use first person. Use first. <laughs> yes, no eyes or we did this. Ours, my... <laughs> Any other we can list person. anyone else. <laughs> Let's just list all the first person. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're cutting that out and we're starting with action verbs. So an accomplishment statement is a bullet or a few sentences under each entry that um, says not just what you did, 
but what you accomplished, meaning um, was there a result? Did you improve something? Did you save someone time? Did you make someone's life easier? Um, did you solve a challenge that no one else could solve? Did you do something uh, in a shorter amount of time than what was asked? Did you take an initiative? Did um, you make a presentation of, on your work? Did you make a recommendation to your supervisor to improve a process? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think sometimes some basic questions are also helpful ways to, to at least start thinking about them. So sometimes just like, how often did I do this? How many times? That's the kind of the quantitative piece to that. And then also to, um, to your point, Meredith, there's also the qualitative piece with whom, how, with what, you know, how did you get that accomplishment Done. Yeah, I think if you say I planned a conference and that conference was attended by 300 people, you better include that. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> really, include 300. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big difference from, you know, a, a conference with 20 people. Right. Mm -hmm. And both can be really equally um, uh, beneficial. Maybe the conference with 20 people, you really, you know, fostered interpersonal relationships. So maybe the, the conference with 300 people, you really... Um, you know, had a handle on the logistics. So the number there isn't necessarily to say how well you did, but to show the different skills within that. Right. I mean, that conference of 20 people could have had a selective process that right. you were also part of that would explain another set of skills entirely. Yeah. And it helps to also stray away from what is the most obvious part of the job. So I often say to folks, like, if I just gave you my resume and it says, advises students, you would hope, given the title of my position, you would probably make that conclusion or just knowing what my job is, you might be able to figure that out. None of that means I'm any good at my job. Right. <laughs> it just means I haven't gotten fired from my job yet, which is a low, low bar we want to try to avoid. So you do need to think about what you're bringing to this position. And again, that puts the spotlight again on the individual, which tends to be there's a lot of resistance there. I think whether it's intentional or otherwise, we, we tend to just be like, yeah, let me tell you about this other thing instead. And uh, I've seen different versions of things where people will be like, uh, they'll state the employer and then there's like a line all, always in italics and it'll be <laughs> like, the XYZ Corporation does blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who needs that information? Right. Mm -hmm. So again, because it's not that it isn't important or doesn't tell part of the story, but it's not about you. And this document is so focused on you. That we want to make sure that that is the, the ringing message that comes from is like who you are and what you've achieved. And it's not lost on us that sometimes you'll put down the name of an organization and the reviewer may have no idea what that organization Absolutely. is or what they do. Um, so I think that that's where we see that tendency toward, let me give you a little brief description about this organization. Um, instead, what we want to see is that information being folded into the accomplishment statements in some kind of way. Absolutely. But the accomplishment statement being really focused on the action-oriented pieces of the responsibilities and tasks and accomplishments that you had. And I think one of the things that sometimes students forget is that it's also okay to show in your accomplishment statement uh, a skill that you gained. Or um, So it's often um, we can think about this as a result bullet versus a skill bullet. So a result bullet might be um, I increased the uh, membership of our student organization by 50% from 10 to 20. Is that 50%? I don't know. 100%. <laughs> 10 to 20 is 100%. 100%. We'll do better math next time. 
<laughs> uh, right. Um, we'll get the math faculty in here to help us yeah. with these. <laughs> so that would be something where you're showing a result. You've increased something by a certain percentage. Um, but something could be a skill bullet. Um, I am showcasing that I did a literature review of, um, you know, all online sources about some topic from the year 1970 to 1971. Um, it could be that you yourself gained um, some sort of skill. I increased my ability to uh, communicate across um, diverse constituents. That's something that's harder to quantify. It's not necessarily a measurable result, right? but it's a skill that you gained. Yeah, so our advice will never be as blanketed as find all the ways that you can quantify all of the things <laughs> right. that you've done. Uh, but to your point, Meredith, uh, you know, uh, there's so many other things, other elements that an employer is going to want to see that showcase the, the, the level of skill that you have in that area. And, and these, all these things help put together the narrative that we're trying to convey, right? Because this is ultimately our, the first impression that we give. And as we, as we kind of wind this part of the conversation down, I want to think about the importance of the narrative that is conveyed through a resume. And that is ultimately, ultimately our goal, but not always the one that we have in mind. We're Sometimes it's even just like, I need to get this out, right? I need to get this done because there's a deadline or I'm supposed to do this or I need to, you know, get a job. Like these things are, these things sort of fall by the wayside of the importance of that narrative, the importance of that first impression. And the, the well-constructed resume bears fruit in so many other aspects of this process, right? The cover letter that you may write, or the cover letter you should be writing, I will say. And then, and most importantly, the interview. But all these things rely on this one document, which, which makes it sound a little scary, and that's not the intention here, but it's more to make sure and ensure that we're giving the best representation of ourselves through this very important piece. So obviously, 20 Minutes is not ever going to touch on all the nuances of a resume, but making sure that we understand its its impact. I do want to add before we wrap up this session um, is that once you have that that what what feels as close to a really good strong resume, transfer that information to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And we are not being sponsored by LinkedIn, but what we do realize is that um, LinkedIn is the resume that works for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is the information that gets um, put out there in the world to employers, potential employers, potential contacts. Um, so when you, know, when you get it into a good place after you spent that time, energy, and effort into building this strong um, narrative construction of the work that you've done, transfer it into LinkedIn. And when I think about what this means, this narrative to construction, as we get to the end here, I want you all, once you have this draft, and of course you've come in to see us at the Office of Career Strategy. Um, <laughs> or use the, drop, the, the online resume review service. That's right. <laughs> um, I want you to ask yourself two questions. The first question is, I want you to go through each entry uh, or each bullet point, and I want you to say, I want you to put your employer hat on, and I want you to say, what is the skill that I want an employer to know that I have? And is that conveyed through this bullet point or these series of bullet points? And then the second thing I want you to think about, and this I think speaks to how you can use this resume to build a narrative that will feed into the cover letter, that will feed into the interview, is that I want you to start to think about your resume in a series of what I like to call buckets. So if I was, if someone were to say, you know, hey, Stephanie, can you walk me through your resume? I want Stephanie to be able to say, you know, I would say that my resume falls into, you know, two or three different buckets or two or three different skill sets. You know, I'm 
had a strong communication skill set, a strong this and a strong that. And that's where you can start to tell a story about yourself. Um, that's sort of how I think about story. I don't know if you want to close out anyone else about your own thoughts about narrative. Well, yeah, I think I think ultimately, again, the strength of that story and the relevance of that story to the employer are the ultimate takeaways. And those are things that, as I said, can fall by the wayside when we're you know under you know under the pressure or the stress of of a, t- a particular timetable. We don't truly understand or embrace the importance of the document itself as a gateway into who we are professionally speaking. And so, again, sometimes this is thought of as just as like, well, when I'm in the interview, I'll tell my story. Right. And it presumes that we'll get there. Right. And so if this isn't done well, we'll never have the chance. So everything lies on this. And again, I know that makes it sound steep, but ultimately the effort you put into this bleeds into every other aspect of this process. Right. So the good news is if you do this well, everything else gets easy. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, when I meet those people who just wrote this in a panic overnight because they, they realized they needed to, that's those are the people that end up having the most trouble. And so we really stress, again, modification, revision, and, and, you know, a sense of calm going into this. So with that, we will end today's episode. Um, this has been another installment of Take This Job and Love It. <laughs> we Thank are the Office all. of Career Strategy here at Yale. <laughs> <laughs>